Okay, um, in here, uh, if you've been around here for a while, you know that we've been in a series called Life Together, uh, where we've been focusing on the one another commands in Scripture. And along the way, I've been trying to emphasize that there's something uh, really important, really significant that God accomplishes in us through this gathering of one another, okay? Um, this, this Christian community, this place that we call Grace Baptist Church. Uh, this morning, I want us to look at a command that I think is especially uh, timely, uh, fitting um, for what many in our church family are going through uh, right now, and that is grief, grief. Um, we have many people in our congregation who have lost loved ones just in the past uh, few weeks, some of them just this week. Um, in addition to grieving the loss of a loved one, uh, there are other kinds of grieving that people are going through uh, as well. And what's uh, wonderful is that in the middle of grieving, um, the Bible gives us a one another command meant to address that. The Bible tells us to comfort one another. Comfort one another. We're going to be looking in our Bibles uh, at a couple of different places where this command um, shows up. Um, I'll have the verses on, on the screens. You can follow along that way if you'd like. If you'd like to follow along in a paper Bible, but you don't have one with you this morning, our ushers are coming down the aisles right now, and if you'll just signal them somehow, they'd be happy to put a Bible in your hands. And uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, um, please consider taking this one. If you don't know where to start reading a Bible, talk to somebody. We've got Bible reading plans out on the, the wall on the other side of the sanctuary here. Um, um, greatest book ever written, and uh, we want everyone to have access to that. So before we uh, open our Bibles um, to learn more about this command, let's pray together. Uh, Lord, again, we just thank you for all of the good uh, that is going on uh, here inside our church, but then moving out from our church as well. And Lord, we don't we don't take credit for that, that the glory for that goes to you. We just are so thrilled to be able to partner with you and, and see you work through us and uh, work through us collectively reaching out into our community. So thank you for that. As we open your word this morning, uh, we pray again, Lord, that you would speak to us. Holy Spirit, open our ears uh, help us to hear what it is that, that uh, God wants to say to us this morning. Uh, open our minds to understand what is said and our hearts to receive what is said. Uh, we need all of those things to happen this morning. So we pray that in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, the command to comfort one another um, shows up in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Um, that's on page 954 in the Bibles that the ushers just handed out. Um, that might be the quickest way for you to find it if you took one of those Bibles. Um, 
And, and uh, Paul begins uh, this section on comfort one another uh, in chapter 4, verse 13, by saying this, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, concerning those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve like the rest who have no hope. And then Paul gives some instruction about why they shouldn't grieve like those who don't have any hope. And then Paul says in verse 18, therefore, comfort one another with these words. Now the command to comfort one another implies a few concepts that we need to look at uh, from, a, from a biblically informed uh, perspective if, if we're going to comfort one another well. And I'm not going to be able to unpack uh, all of those concepts um, uh, in, a, in a fully developed way, but we need to understand some basic truths about those concepts if we're going to understand what the Bible means when it tells us to comfort one another. So the, the first uh, thing we need to understand um, to be able to do this comforting of one another is that uh, this comforting one another happens in the context of suffering or affliction or loss. Uh, in the case of the Thessalonians, they are gripped with fear about their loved ones who have died. What is going to happen to them? Uh, Jesus hasn't come back yet. What's going to happen to them? Have they missed out on Jesus' return? Um, Paul's words of comfort and his command to comfort one another are formed in this context or framed in this context of, of loss. You know, sooner or later, every one of us uh, loses someone or something that is important to us. That loss may be the death of a loved one. It might be the death of an expectation, um, like, like good health or, or a happy marriage or uh, good relationships with your grown kids, um, or maybe a successful career. Uh, it might be the loss of a dearly loved pet. Um, it might be the loss of an unborn child. It might be the loss of a body part to, to amputation. Um, or even the loss of one's personality, uh, like to Alzheimer's, right? Uh, there's a lot of loss in our lives. Uh, our Bibles are not um, arranged chronologically. I think maybe many of you know that. But if they were, Job would be the first book in the Bible. So chronologically speaking, the very first book of the Bible begins with suffering and loss. And there's a lot of it in the book of Job. Job is the story of a, of a wealthy man with a large family who loses it all. Loses his 10 children, his servants, his livestock, his barns, his wealth, everything. Almost everything. Everything except a grumpy wife who tells him to just curse God and die. Right? That's what God leaves him with. And as we move through the Bible, we read story after story of people who suffer, uh, people who are afflicted, people who experience loss. 
And what's interesting is that the people of God aren't exempt from that suffering and loss. Um, it, It happens to them with the same frequency as those who have really no regard for God. So becoming a Christian doesn't make all of the suffering and loss go away, right? Uh, Jesus is is probably the greatest example of suffering we have. Uh, The prophet Isaiah describes him as a man of sorrows, well acquainted with grief. Uh, the, The physical, emotional, even spiritual suffering that he endured on our behalf is unlike that of any human who lived before or or since him, anyone else in history. Uh, The point I'm trying to make is that from the first book of the Bible all the way through the Old Testament, all the way into the New Testament, right up to today, God's people have suffered loss and affliction. Jesus promised it, in fact. Uh, John 16, 33, in this world you will have trouble and suffering. Take courage, because I have overcome the world. Uh, Suffering and loss are a part of the human condition. If we fail to understand that, we're not going to be able to understand what is meant by this command to comfort one another. So that's the first thing. We all experience loss. Secondly, we need to understand uh, the concept of grief. Uh, Grief is the word that we use to describe Uh, the emotion we feel when we're faced with loss or affliction or suffering. Uh, I think it's hardwired into all of us, right? You can try to ignore it, uh, and many do try to ignore it, but you'll just delay what you eventually will have to deal with. Uh, One writer says that grief is a school every person must enter but the curriculum is specialized for every individual. In other words, we all do it differently. We all have to find our own way through it. Uh, As Willie Nelson sings in his song about losing a loved one, um, that grief is not something you get over, it's something you get through. I think sometimes Christians behave as if grieving is a a bad thing. So whether we intentionally mean that or not, we often communicate that there's no place in the the Christian worldview for grieving, for sorrow. The joy of the Lord is your strength, right? And happy, happy, happy. And we say things like, well, at least she's in a better place, which is true, but too often we say it in a way that implies that the loss is just sort of a little scrape that a band-aid and a kiss will take care of. And we all know it won't, right? Even worse, sometimes we say insensitive and, and really very unbiblical things like, I guess God needed another angel. That's not biblical, Okay, so just so you know. Uh, Or, I guess this was just meant to be. Everything happens for a reason, so I guess this was just meant to be. And I want to say that comments like that ignore the pain and the loss of what we're feeling, and I really believe they just make God out to be mean, is what it ends up doing. So please don't say those kinds of things to people who are grieving. Um, 
God has given us, I believe this, God has given grief to us as a gift. Because grief is a way to honor someone or something that we loved. Uh, I often tell this to families who are grieving. Grief is a love word. The loss isn't a gift. Don't, don't get me wrong. The loss is not a gr- gift. But grieving actually is a gift. Jesus told us to grieve. His famous Sermon on the Mount in Matthew's Gospel, he said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Yeah. And the word that God inspired Matthew to use there is pentheo. It is the strongest Greek word for what we call grieving. It's this deep, visceral, uh, lamenting over a loss. But, it, but it's more than just the emotion of grief. Uh, Jesus isn't just saying that we should feel sad. Pentheo goes past sadness and, and, and moves into the intentional activity of what psychologists call grief work. And, and make no mistake, grieving is work. It's hard work. But when you do the hard work of grieving, you adapt and adjust to living with that loss. Uh, most of you might be familiar with the name C.S. Lewis. Many of you maybe have read his journal of his own grief work and the loss of his wife to cancer. Uh, it's called A Grief Observed. And it is a raw, uh, honest, very personal window into the hard work of grieving. And it stands as a good example of how a strong believer can lose all sense of meaning. And then for Lewis, how he gradually regained his bearings and got back on track. And again, I don't mean got over it. He, he got through it though. And, and I want to take just a moment to highlight a ministry. Um, again, I think this is all really, really timely. Uh, a ministry that we're going to be starting in December. Uh, a lot of you are familiar with Josh Jacobson. Uh, I've had him preach here a number of times and always get really great comments when he, when he does. Uh, Josh's wife, Shelley, is a certified grief coach. Uh, and she's helped a number of people from our church family here uh, navigate the, the deep and difficult waters of, of grief. Shelley's going to be uh, facilitating a series of conversations on death and grief. I think we've got a slide of it there. Yeah. Um, here at Grace. Uh, so if, if you'd like to be able to talk about this aspect of life that we generally don't like to talk about and oftentimes don't talk about very well, uh, this group might be really good for you. Uh, the first one's going to be on December 11th, um, 6.30 to 8.30. It'll be right here in the gathering place. So um, if you'd like more information on that, let me know. I'll connect you with, with Shelly. Uh, it might be a really good thing for you to... Um, be a part of. So we need to understand the reality of loss. We need to understand the importance of grief. And then there's a third reality that we need to deal with if we're going to understand this command to comfort one another. Because if we don't grasp this reality, we're going to fall short of the, of the grieving uh, work that the, the Bible prescribes for us and the command to comfort uh, one another. 
Paul said to the believers in Thessalonica that they were supposed to grieve the loss of loved ones who have died, but they were to grieve differently than their unbelieving neighbors who had no hope. Believers are supposed to grieve with hope. Hope is the thing that makes the difference. Because without hope, there is no comfort. Without hope, the work of grieving just sort of leaves you trapped in this whirlpool or or eddy of circling the same dead water over and over. Without hope, some people give in to the lie that this world would be better off without them, that ending their life would end the pain. People can't live without hope. I said earlier that uh, I believe God has hardwired us for grief. We need to be able to grieve, but I also believe he's hardwired us for hope and that the enemy of our souls wants to rob us of hope. I love how Victor Hugo describes it in um, his novel, Les Mis. He says, evil seeks to wipe from existence that word which the finger of God has etched on the forehead of every man, woman, and child. The word hope. And the enemy of our souls wants to rob us of that. So what is that hope? In a word, I think it's resurrection. Because right after telling the Thessalonians that they should grieve with hope, Paul says in verse 13, 14, since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, in the same way, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. Paul is saying that since Jesus died and rose again, everyone who has placed their faith in Jesus will also be resurrected. And Paul believes that this hope of resurrection makes all the difference in the world. I think most of us are familiar with the shorthand version of the gospel found in 1 Corinthians 15. You might want to turn there. I'm going to spend a little time there in 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, Chapter 15, verse 1, Paul says, Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preached to you, that you received and on which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold firmly to the message I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3, For I pass on to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Wonderful words. You should memorize them. They are are so great. They tell us what Jesus has done for us. But if we stop at verse 4, and fail to understand the ramifications of what Paul is saying here, we're not going to grasp the whole of what the gospel is that Paul says we must hold on to. If we continue reading in 1 Corinthians 15, we discover that God's plan was not only to resurrect Christ and not only his followers, but the whole of creation, all of it, the whole thing, the whole mess is going to be resurrected and made new. Theologian Gordon Fee says it this way, God intends to see that his original creative purposes are not thwarted. So anything less than full bodily resurrection and full recreation of the entire cosmos 
would not vindicate God against all his enemies or provide the absolute perfection that he intends for his people. Friends, this is the hope we claim as followers of Jesus. We see it in Old Testament scriptures where God says, look, I'm creating a new heavens and a new earth. We're talking about hope uh, and why it makes a difference. Um, And that uh, the hope of resurrection uh, is really not just Jesus' resurrection, not just ours, but the whole of creation. Isaiah says this in Isaiah 65, where, where God says, excuse me, look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth, and no one will even think about the old ones anymore. Uh, this is also, this resurrection hope is the hope that we see in the last book of the Bible. Uh, in Revelation 21, we read that God's home will be among his people. He will live with them and they will be his people. God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All of these things are gone forever. I just want to say, friends, that's the resurrection hope Paul wants Christians to be comforted with. Um, Hope... uh, Another writer has said it this way, hope for the future is the engine that creates comfort in the present. Hope for the future is the engine that creates comfort in the present. It's Paul's belief and mine that the resurrection hope uh, that we read about in the pages of our Bibles uh, is what brings that, that comfort. So let's talk about comfort then, right? With kind of that as a, as a foundation. Uh, comfort is what happens to those who do the hard work of grieving with hope, okay? Uh, this is what Jesus promised in the Sermon on the Mount. Those who do the hard work of grieving will be comforted. So we need to look at this word comfort uh, for a moment, and then we're going to... Um, look at one more scripture that I think is, is key to our understanding of this command. Uh, if you've been to a memorial service uh, that I have officiated, and, and many of you have, uh, you've heard me talk about the word comfort and how uh, so many of us think of it as um, a word that means making it stop hurting, making the pain go away. That's not really what the word means. Um, the word comfort is made up of two parts, come, which means with, for, uh, fort, which means strength. So comfort means with strength. And for me, anyway, that understanding of the word comfort changes things, right? Uh, it validates the pain I feel, but it suggests that I can walk this path of pain with strength. You see? Uh, so while First uh, Thessalonians 4 contains very specific, uh, this very specific command to comfort one another, Paul expounds on it in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. So I'm going to ask you to turn there. I know we're in a number of places this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, the word affliction 
uh, and comfort, those two words show up more in 2 Corinthians than anywhere else in the New Testament. Interesting. And they show up more in the first few verses of 2 Corinthians than in the rest of the book. So look with me at um, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Paul says, Praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort others who are in any kind of affliction. Through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so through Christ our comfort also overflows. Let's try to unpack this. Paul starts with a doxology, a word of praise. He says, praise the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Paul establishes here that God is the source of mercy and all comfort. If there is any comfort, if there's any strength to be discovered through suffering and affliction and loss, it is ultimately going to come from God. So often we suffer, or when we suffer, we turn to other things to comfort us, to strengthen us. We might turn to our own strength and and sort of try to sidestep the hard work of grieving because we think grieving makes us look weak. Where is God's strength made perfect? In our weakness. Yeah, it's okay to appear weak. God's going to show up there, right? Other people sometimes turn to numbing devices like alcohol or food or sex to make them feel comforted. Those things are never going to bring comfort. Comfort isn't the numbing of pain. It's going through the pain with strength. And God is the only true source of that comfort. The next thing I see in this passage is that there is no affliction that God cannot bring comfort to. Paul says he comforts uh, comforts us in all our affliction. When we do the hard work of grieving with hope that both Jesus and Paul uh, speak about, there is no affliction, no suffering, no loss that he won't bring his comfort to, allowing you to go through it with strength. Uh, And then this is really interesting and important for our understanding of of this command. Uh, God never does this comforting work that he does with the individual in mind or only the individual in mind. God doesn't bring his comfort just so I'll feel better. What do I mean? Paul says that God comforts us so that, there's the reason he does it, so that we can comfort others who are in any kind of affliction. This is where the one another aspect comes in 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 this passage. God doesn't bring his comfort just so we can feel better in our suffering. He doesn't bring us his comfort so we can just stand up in church and praise him for his comfort. We should do that. But this passage says he does it so that we can comfort others. And all of this 
is connected to Christ and his suffering. Uh, In verse 5, Paul explains how this happens. For as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so through Christ our comfort also overflows. So as we who are in Christ suffer, we identify with Christ, the suffering servant of God. And as we suffer, we then receive the same comfort that he received from his father, who is the God of all comfort. And so as the suffering overflows, comfort overflows even more. I read a a fascinating story this week about Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Uh, I've mentioned before, I think, that uh, Bonhoeffer was imprisoned for his resistance against the Nazis in 1943. Um, While in prison, he wrote what became a book called Letters from Prison, uh, a book which became a bestseller after the war. Uh, And among the letters uh, that he wrote is a poem he wrote to his fiancée, Maria von Wiedemeyer titled New Year 1945. Uh, this is stanza three of that poem. It's, it's rather famous. He says, Should it be ours to drain the cup of grieving, even to the dregs of pain, at thy command we will not falter, thankfully receiving all that is given by thy loving hand. These words became even more poignant when three months after writing them, Bonhoeffer was hanged in Flossenburg prison. Now here's where the story gets just fascinating. 18 years later, another bride-to-be was grieving the death of her fiancé. And she read Bonhoeffer's book and found comfort in Bonhoeffer's poem and shared the poem with her fiancé's father, uh, who was an author by the name of Joe Bailey. She gave it to him in hopes that he would find comfort in the poem as he grieved the loss of his son. And it was so helpful to him in his grief that he included it in a collection of poems he published called Heaven by Joe Bailey. Twelve years after this, so now we're 30 years after Bonhoeffer's death, Joe Bailey received a letter from a pastor friend in Massachusetts. The letter said that he had visited a terminally ill woman in a Boston hospital and had given her a copy of Joe's book. And it said that the dying woman stayed awake late the previous night to read it and told him of the comfort and help she received from it. A few hours later, uh, after sharing that, how comforting it had been with her pastor, she died. That woman was Maria von uh, Wiedemeyer, Bonhoeffer's fiance that he had written to three decades earlier. You see, God's comfort has has a way of circulating among his children. Sometimes it even comes full circle, like in in that story. Uh, this, This is why we're commanded to comfort one another with the comfort that we have received. So, what do we leave with this morning? 
I think a few things here. Uh, first of all, uh, if you are suffering uh, loss or affliction, I think you just need to understand, and this isn't going to make you feel better, but maybe a little, I don't know. You're not alone. You are not alone. God's not picking on you. The world's not picking on you. Uh, we are in this mess together. Suffering and loss is, is, is so much a part of the human condition that Jesus himself could not become truly human without going through suffering and loss himself. So if you're suffering, uh, if you're experiencing loss, you're in good company with Jesus and the rest of us. That's the first thing. Secondly, understand that grief is a gift from God to people who suffer. And in fact, it's the only way forward, the only way through the suffering. But it's hard work. It's hard work. Do the hard work, though. Uh, Pick up a book on grieving. Read Lewis's journal of his grief journey. Come to the conversation about death and grief. Uh, and, And know this, the hard work of grieving pays off, which leads to the third truth. Don't lose hope. Uh, Hope doesn't mean you have some sort of Pollyanna approach to life in the midst of pain or that the pain doesn't matter. Uh, If you're doing that, you're not doing the hard work of grieving. Um, Sometimes I see people, oh, I'm, I'm fine. Oh, boy, brother. You're not going to be fine if you're just pretending this doesn't hurt, right? Uh, Grieving actually gives us a way to be angry that things aren't the way they are supposed to be. Grieving gives us a way to be angry that things aren't the way they are supposed to be. But it does so with this unquenchable hope that one day God is going to set everything right. What a wonderful day that's going to be. And lastly, and this comes back to the command then, okay? When you become aware of God's comfort, his strength that comes out of the grieving, right? Hear the command to comfort others with the same comfort you've received. Come alongside a brother or sister who is grieving and walk with them. Validate the pain and the sadness of the loss. Don't don't try to gloss over it. Remind them of the hope that we have because of Jesus. Cry with them. Hope with them. Sometimes it might even mean hoping for them because they don't have it in them to hope themselves. So you hope for them when their faith is, is too weak. That's what it means to comfort one another with the comfort that we've received. And in this way, as we suffer here under the the curse of sin, we share in the sufferings of Christ, we receive his comfort and become a community who comforts one another with the same comfort we've received. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you um, 
Thank you for this, this phrase we have in Isaiah that you are the suffering servant of God. Thank you that we have a high priest who can relate to our suffering. Thank you for the resurrection hope that we have because of your own resurrection, Jesus, and your promise to bring everything, make all things new, a new heaven, a new earth, everything new. And in in the middle, Lord, of our suffering, our, our pain, our loss, May we look to you uh, to be our comfort, to give us strength. And even if the circumstances don't change, uh, to use our circumstances to make us into the people that you want us to be. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.